This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. I don't have to convince any one of those eight defensive coaches how effed up I am. These players, they want to defend MetLife Stadium for you guys. Now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Joined today by my longtime co-host, Dalvin Asario, to talk about a wide range of topics, ranging from Cam Newton signing with the New England Patriots to the ongoing Jamal Adams social media trade speculation battle, uh, to a few other things, uh, rounding up some of the recent press conferences from Jets coaches, and just generally to talk about how we feel about the state of the league and the team heading into 4th of July, wanting to get another episode in before the holiday weekend. If you have not yet, subscribe, rate, review, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. This podcast is now a proud part of the growing Team Whistle Podcast Network. So make sure you check out our other shows, including Say Less with Kaz. We got the Knicks wall. We got a bunch of stuff going on. So check it all out. And of course, subscribe, 999, turnonthejets.podbean.com. For our subscription, ad-free podcast hosted by myself and Connor Rogers. Had all kinds of rants about Jamal Adams last week, and we're working on having a Darnold-centric episode sooner rather than later. Turn the jets.podbean.com. Enough of me rambling with PSAs. Dalbin, how you doing? <laughs> Get all the ads in, man. Get all the ads in. That's what pays the bills, right? Uh, no, man, honestly, super pumped to be back on with you. Uh you know, super pumped to see all the really great content that our new stable of writers have been putting out. That's been really kick ass. Uh, and honestly, just super pumped to be back with you to talk about, you know, Cam, Chinchilla Cam in, in, the, in the AMC East. I'm really excited to talk about that with you. So, of course, you know, I'm trying to relax and unwind, enjoy my Sunday night before <laughs> another week of work. And then all of a sudden the phone starts buzzing. And of course, the Patriots as some people had long been speculating, are not okay with just Jared Stidham and Brian Hoyer, a quarterback. They bring in Cam Newton, formerly of the Carolina Panthers, former league MVP, uh, reached the Super Bowl in 2015 on a one-year incentive-laden deal to very likely be their starting quarterback. I still had New England as the favorite in the AFC East, even with massive question marks at quarterback because they've won 10 or more games for 17 straight seasons. And when you do that, you get the benefit of the doubt on your coaching and infrastructure. Newton, even if he is 80 to 90% of the player he was when he was a league MVP a long time ago, uh, will be pretty good because Tom Brady was not that great last year for New England, I think what a lot of people forget. And he will certainly be better than what Stidham or Hoyer would be if he's at that level. Um, what was your initial reaction to this signing and how does it change your sort of mental win projection total for the Patriots? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I was watching, what was I watching? I was watching something I, I, and uh, and I saw our Slack channel the DOJ Slack channel kind of blow up and I was like, oh, okay. Um, I so I'm a big Cam Newton fan, right? Like just as a just as a fan of the game, I love seeing him play. I think that he probably authored 
if not the greatest single college football season of the last 20 years. I mean, arguably top five, top 10. And, uh, you know, he went to a 1-15 Carolina Panthers team, turned that franchise around, took them to the Super Bowl where they got manhandled by, by the Denver Broncos, right? Um, but, you know, the Panthers have been a, you know, competitive team with, with Cam Newton. And, you know, Matt Rule comes in. And I actually would have really loved to see Matt Rule keep Cam because I kind of thought I was like, you know what, you keep Cam. If it doesn't work, then you end up with a top pick next year. You just got to pick your quarterback. Instead, he went in a different direction. And I wish that him going in that different direction didn't land with Cam Newton going to New England. Um, you know, so thanks, Matt Rule, for sticking it to us again. I, you know, I appreciate that. Um, I think Cam, <clears throat> so before, if New England had gone into this into this season with Jared Stidham as their quarterback or Brian Hoyer, I would have told you that the Patriots were probably finishing, you know, third or fourth in the division. Uh, because if one, like, I... I have very serious question marks about Jared Stidham in Josh McDaniel's offense. His offense requires you to be, if you're not a mobile quarterback, at the very least, you're able to kind of slide and, you know, and kind of, and, and kind of, you know, maybe take a shuffle to the left to evade some pressure. And Jared Stidham is essentially a statue. And so I was like, man, this is not really going to work. Plus then you had, you know, you had question marks at wide receiver. Their offensive line wasn't great last year. The defense was really good for the first half of the season, but not as good in the second half. So I was like, you know what? Third or fourth in the division feels right. I still think the Buffalo Bills are the team to beat in the division. I think them adding Stephon Diggs, now you you move John Brown down to their number two receiver. Cole Beasley eats out of the slot. You have a good offensive line. And this is the thing that, and I was having this conversation with folks on Twitter earlier, Joe, if you are so adamant that Sam Darnold will take this leap in year three, then how can you say that about Sam, but not say it about Josh Allen, who got a little bit better from year one to year two, and now has a top receiver, you know, and has arguably the best supporting cast out of any quarterback in the in the in the AFC East. Um, so I think, but New England just now makes it interesting, man, because now you have a quarterback in Cam Newton who should be healthy, passes physical in March, right? And I was, and my concern was the list, Frank. How was that going to heal? Remember that ended Tone's career, that ended Yao Ming's career, right? So like it was, how was that going to heal? But everybody says that he he passes physical in March. You you have him, you have Julian Edelman, you have Nikhil Harry, you have Sony Michelle, you have Isaiah Wynn on that offensive line, David Andrews, Shaq Mason, and you have a defense now that knows that they have a quarterback that they do not have to be perfect for in Cam Newton, and you have to trust that Josh McDaniels is going to streamline that offense. Again, you don't have the luxury of being on the field with your new offensive lineman, new receivers to kind of learn that. You have to do all of this virtually, so I think that kind of puts them back a little bit, but whereas before, man, I thought that they were you know, a four or five win team. I think that there is no reason why that team cannot compete for the sixth or seventh playoff spot in the AFC with Cam Newton, at quarterback. Yeah. I think when you just look at, and I think new England, whether they were going to play with Stidham or, or Newton, they were going to kind of go back to this run heavy, not a run heavier offense. And they've been leaning more on their defense and people forget new England's first sort of wave of Super Bowl wins were, it wasn't what this recent, wave was it wasn't around offense it was a more balanced team that ran the football a lot and I think they've built a team that uh, is going to try to run the ball a decent amount use Cam uh, in the running game and find ways to play to his strengths how North Turner did at times uh, when he was in Carolina when he was actually healthy but New England is going to work their system to a player's strengths and uh, I think on on paper Buffalo has a better overall roster and while I think McDermott is a good coach, and I think Allen has been better than I thought he would be. He's still a major question mark. So even though I think they have a better overall roster, I still put New England as the favorite in the AFC. Maybe at about 10 wins, 
with Cam under center until I see someone knock them off. Now, for the Jets and where they fit into all of this, we've been over what we think the limitations are with the roster and our concerns with the coaching staff. That being said, if Darnold takes the leap, the leap into being a top third quarterback in the league, maybe this schedule does not look as dangerous as we think it does on paper. And maybe this is a different conversation. Again, if you ask me right now, I think the Jets are a six or seven win team, uh, depending on how they start, depending on how healthy they, they stay. Now, if you look at where you want Darnold to get to, I did a quick glance looking through what he would need to do to be a top 11 quarterback in all the following categories, based on what we saw last year from the quarterbacks in the NFL. So he needs to jump up to a 65.9 completion percentage. So that'd be a, you know, a bit of a notable bump from last year, over 4,000 yards, which if it's a, it's a big jump for him. But if he starts 16 games, not 13 games, that becomes more attainable. 26 touchdowns, again, if he plays 16 games, not 13, that jump's not quite as crazy. 7.8 yards per attempt, that's a big jump. He was 6.9 both years so far in his career. He's going to need a big jump there, and that's going to be hard in Adam Gase's offense because he doesn't play a system that's conducive to that. Uh, and then a 96 quarterback rating, which, again, pretty big jump. So can he get all the way there? I don't know. Uh, he has some things working against him. Uh, from his receiver group to Dowell Loggins and how Gase runs an offense. But hopefully his talent allows him to make a charge at these numbers. Then it's a different conversation on where the Jets fit in the AFC East and where they fit in the AFC East and how it's going to – a lot of it is going to play into how they play against these teams. So the Jets need to not just beat New England but start by being competitive against them. They've gotten absolutely wiped off the map. Uh, in most of their games over the past three years and even condensed in the past two years, even when they had Darnold under center. So if the Jets are going to compete with Buffalo, with New England, and I don't I don't think Miami's ready to compete for a playoff spot, but I do think they'll be better than they were last year. And if two ends up playing and, you know, is healthy, who knows what their ceiling ends up being. Uh, but such a key thing for the Jets is going to be, how do they how do they compete against New England? How do they compete against whatever that offense ends up being? And more importantly, how does Sam Darnold compete against that defense? He's been very he struggled a lot in AFC East games. Now that came around a little bit last year where he played pretty well against Miami at home. Um and he did have the nice win in Buffalo uh as a rookie. But if the Jets are gonna make the playoffs, they have to do something they haven't done since the last time they made the playoffs, and that's have a winning division. Uh, winning record in their division. They've been 500 or worse in their division every single year of their playoff drought, and that is correlated with them never getting over the hump and making the playoffs. So if someone asks you now, where, how many AFC East games do you think the Jets are going to win next year, and how many do you think they have to win to make the playoffs? Yeah, I, so one, I want to I want to touch on what you said in terms of just the stat line for him, right? So Ryan Tannehill, in his third year under Adam Gase, 66.4 completion percentage, 4,045 yards, 27 touchdowns, and 12 interceptions. Uh, sorry, so that was Tannehill's third year in the league, right? Um, and I keep going back to Tannehill because, again, Ryan Tannehill was a quarterback that I think a lot of Jet fans maligned when he was in Miami, right? You know, under Philbin and under Gates, it was just kind of his thing, right? Um, folks felt that he was a guy that just wasn't that good. But that stat line, 66.4 completion percentage, 4,000 yards, 27 touchdowns, 12 picks, is a similar stat line to Cam Newton's 2018 year, the last year that he played. He played 14 games that year, but it's very similar to that. 
if the Jets get that from from Sam Darnold, I think that and I and I do think that that's pretty realistic, Joe, because he you saw his yards per game jump from jump by 12 yards a game, right? You saw him decrease his interceptions, right? He only landed at 19 touchdowns. He missed a couple games. Can he get those touchdowns over 20? Can he get it closer to 30? But something else that stood out to me is that that 2014 Dolphin team, he had a you know Ryan Tannehill had a rookie Jarvis Landry, a rookie left tackle, right? Um, the offensive line was not that great. The best offensive lineman was Mike Pouncey that he had, right? So compare that to this Jets team. You're talking about his best receiver, hopefully, if everything goes well, should be Denzel Mims, right? Who, again, as a rookie, should the hope is that he's going to get every opportunity to contribute. Mekhi Becton is better than Jawan James was as a rookie. So Mekhi Becton should come in and solidify at least part of that offensive line. Connor McGovern, on par with Mike Pouncey in 2014. So again, like you, you see a lot of similarities between between who Adam, who Adam Gates is coaching now and what the Dolphins had in 2014. And so I think when you when you talk about stat lines for Sam Darnold and to tie it into the bigger question is the Jets have to go three and three in this division, right? Because you can't go, you can't lose two games to New England, right? Which again, I don't think they will do because while I like Cam Newton in New England, I, I have to I have to be frank about it. Like Tom Brady had a solid regular season, right? And then it was in the playoffs that he was exposed because the team started getting getting pressure on him. And, you know, the Titans really just confused Tom Brady in that playoff game. But Tom Brady had a had a pretty good had a pretty good season last year. And it's is Cam Newton a better quarterback today than Tom Brady is, which is why I'm hesitant to put them above Buffalo. You have Buffalo who's a really well coached team. You have Miami who's a really well coached team. And Miami spent a ton of money on their defense, right? So Brian Flores again put all his free agent, him and, and Chris Greer, put all their free agency money in free agency, knowing that the, in, in, on the defense, knowing that the offense could come along with Tua, Austin Jackson, a lot of the younger players, Devontae Parker, still pretty young. You have to walk out of that division three and three. And that's what I think they're going to do. I think that they split with all three teams. I think they play Buffalo tough, man. And I think when you look back to last year, Everybody likes to point to Sam having mono as the reason that they lost. That's not why they just lost. Again, they lost the minute C.J. Mosley went out. And now you have a healthy C.J. Mosley. You have Avery Williamson back. You you know, if Joe Douglas doesn't trade Jamal Adams, you'll have him. This is a defense that can stymie Josh Allen a bit. He was very confused when C.J. Mosley was in there. And I expect more of that when we play them. I think it's an absolute split. And I think if they walk out three and three from the division, I think you're looking at a team that ends up winning seven games, seven, eight games in the, in the regular season because there's some tough matchups on the schedule. But then it does get a little bit easier in the middle in the middle uh, parts of the schedule where you can maybe, you know, stave off a couple of wins and end up at seven and nine or eight and eight. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how these divisional games play out. And like we see every year and like we see in a lot of divisions, um, those are often the deciding factors on which way the season goes. I mean, who knows how last season goes if the Jets don't blow a 16 to nothing lead. Uh, who, you know, I, even with everything that happened with Darnold, you know, who knows what those seasons look like if that game goes a different way. Or who knows how we're talking about the Jets season the other way, if they don't get that pass interference call against Miami at home and they don't get to play Buffalo's backups in week 17, is it a different conversation? Is it different expectations if they're 5-11 and 11 instead of 7-9? and nine? I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see if any more big dominoes fall from a roster standpoint. I would think we're just about done. Uh, maybe New England makes a couple more tweaks to their offense now that they – that they sign Cam, they don't have a ton of cap flexibility. I think the Jets are are sort of done making any major notable moves unless there's some surprise cuts uh, during whenever training camp is, if that happens. And I think Buffalo and Miami are pretty locked in. Now, one 
major domino that, of course, still could fall. And judging from the way he's reacting to every transaction going on, Jamal Adams certainly is not acting like someone who's going to be on the Jets this year. We know the Jets don't have to do anything and aren't going to trade him unless they get an offer they feel good about. We've been over this a few different times on a few of our different shows. I've stated my case with Adams. I I think at this point, it's much more likely than not that he's traded. It's just a question of when it happens. I think the Jets are looking at getting a first back plus either a young starter on offense or a collection of mid-round picks that maybe one or two, maybe one of them is conditional. So I think it's something like a first, a third, and a fifth, and maybe the third is conditional, or a first, and I'll use Michael Gallup as a stand, and I don't know if that's actually a pragmatic deal, but a first, and and another guy who could come in and start. Is that going to happen? When is it going to happen? I don't know, but I know the relationship is broken, and I understand that Jet fans are, you know, sort of fed up with this, you know, dragging on at this point. Jamal Adams isn't getting $20 million a year from the Jets. They're not going to pay him that money right now. They're not in a position to do it, and they don't need to because they control his contract for three more years. Now, what what is your stance right now? Someone comes up to you and says, what what do you think of this whole Jamal Adams situation? Where are you at with it right now? Yeah, I'm over it, though. I'm over it, man. And, and, you know, and you know this better than a lot of people, man. Like, I don't think there was – and I hate when people say this, like, oh, nobody's a bigger fan of such than me or whatever, but – I will say, leading up to the draft, I don't think anybody banged the table harder for Jamal Adams to be the pick than I, I did. Um, and I think that, you know, he he came out and he was like, you know, I'm built different and, you know, we're going to get this thing turned around and, you know, and all this stuff or whatever. And then today he, he retweets, you know, Connor's boy, Adam, you know, saying like, oh, you know, uh, he's, you know, he was drafted to be the face of the franchise and the coach that did that and the GM that did that isn't there anymore. And you know, he he's playing for a coach that his running back hates him, everybody else hates him or whatever. And it's just like, what do you think? You think that Joe Douglas is just running to give you an extension if you keep doing this, right? And, you know, uh, one of the things that Adam said is like, oh, you know, he's used to he's used to winning national championships at LSU. Jamal Adams never won a national championship at LSU. Jamal Adams never won more than nine games at LSU. So I think this notion that all the losing has gotten to him is kind of nonsense. And it's, and it's so... And I think it's frustrating to see a guy who, let me tell you, man, and you know this, Joe, there was not a player on this team, aside from Sam Darnold, who you could not speak bad about except for Jamal Adams. Because, because and, and I say, I mentioned him and Sam Darnold because Sam Darnold gets a pass from a lot of Jet fans. But Jamal Adams for a long time was the only bright spot that you had here. You always knew he was going to give 100%. You always knew he wasn't going to play bad. You always knew he was going to win games, et cetera, et cetera. Then the minute Joe Douglas had the audacity to pick up the phone, and try to improve his team for his franchise quarterback, right? And Sam Darnold, who is more important to this team's success. It is more important that he plays better than if Jamal Adams has six sacks or Jamal Adams has three picks or they line him up at free safety or he plays corner or any of that. In order for Jamal Adams to not lose anymore, Sam Darnold needs help. And and Jamal Adams was so bothered by Joe Douglas having the audacity to pick up the phone that he had his worst game of his career against Miami, looked disinterested, looked like he didn't want to be there, right? It took him three games to get out of that funk. Then he, you know, single-handedly wins the Giants game. He plays really well against the Raiders, whatever, whatever. But honestly, man, I'm tired of it because I think, you know, and I wrote this I wrote this article last week, like, yo, it's time to move him. Get him out of there because I think what you have with him, you know, and then it comes out and then there's, there's eight teams that he'll gladly take a trade to, you know, without an extension. And it's like, you hear that and it's like, oh, so see, it's not even about the money. 
Because if Joe Douglas came to you right now and offered you $21 million, you going to turn that down? You're going to be the, you going to be the one safety that turns down $21 million a year. It's a joke, man. And I think he's proven as this goes on that he was not built different, that he's a fraud. And I think that when you, when you constantly hear him, you know, bigging up the Pats. He bigged up Cam for for, for the Pats signing Cam. But he, don't you forget, Cam was dancing in the Meadowlands and Jamal Adams took issue with that, right? Jamal Adams said that he was built different and it's been proven time and time again that he wasn't. And if I'm Joe Douglas, man, I get him out of here because I think what you now have is a dude who is actively trying to sabotage your team, right? Because, you know, C.J. Mosley had to address the Adam Gase thing. Alex Lewis had to address. Now, now you're making it where your coach's players, because you're not firing Adam Gase today. Joe Douglas is not firing him right now. Right. So you're making it. So now your players have to answer for a lot of these, a lot of his comments, comments that he himself doesn't have to answer for. Right. He ran to the media and aired this out. But nobody he's he's has had to stand up and say, yeah, man, look, you know, Marcus May hates him or Le'Veon Bell hates him or whatever. You know, so he's hiding behind the media and he's hiding behind Manish. And then you have, you know, what I'm saying you have C.J. Mosley and Alex Lewis having to defend their coach. It's a joke at this point. I'd get him out of here. That's what I would say if somebody would ask me, hey, what's going on with this Jamal Adams thing? That's all, no shortage of opinions there. Bringing the heat and look, I listen. I get the frustration, right? I mean, this has been such a. It's been crazy to watch how quick this is like fully deteriorated. Um, and we've seen this happen in other, you know, other sports and with other teams. And just from where this went to, to not even being something like on the radar, to then it flares up at the trade deadline, to then we think it goes away because of how the season ends. And then it seemed like it went to bed after the draft, and it's just – now it's like done. It feels like this is a done deal. All we could do is hope that Joe Douglas is given the ability to do his job and be patient and take a deal that he feels good about. I am all for reinvesting resources into the offense. Offense is more important than defense. The Jets have more work to do on their offense. They could compete – with a defense that isn't top 10 in DVOA, but is instead top 15 or 16, they can't compete if their offense stays in the bottom, you know, three to four in the NFL. They need to make a major, major jump. And they're only going to be able to do that by further investing more resources around Sam Darnold uh, and in their offense overall, which hopefully they can do with whatever assets they get back for Jamal Adams. What kind of package would you be satisfied with for Adams? Uh, I, I would love Michael Gallup in a first. I think that that would make me very happy. Um, I'd take, I'd even take Michael Gallup in a second. I think that would make me really happy. Um, I think that you, I think that this receiver group, I think that you, one of the things that I think you have to do, you know, and you mentioned this in your, in your breakdown of Denzel Mims, right. Is the, the, the power forward wide receiver, right. The guy that's going to go up and box somebody out and go up and get the ball. And I think Denzel Mims fits that profile, right. Um, I think that Michael Gallup, I think, complements a lot of what Denzel Mims does well, right? Because I think what you're going to need, and you look at this, you look at this position group, right? Rashad Perryman is a big, is a bigger receiver, right? He's a bigger receiver. He's fast. But Rashad Perryman, one of the issues, one of the reasons why he bounced around between Baltimore and Cleveland and so on and so forth is because, and you know, and he didn't have a good career until the last four games replacing Mike Evans, is because he never used that size that he has, right? And then we kind of saw it with Jameis Winston, but I think also, you know, it's Bruce Arians' offense, and that's kind of, you know, he, he schemes around, for, he schemes for your strengths. Adam Gase is not that kind of guy. With that said, I think if you told me that the Jets walked out with Michael Gallup in a second round pick, I'd tell you fine. If you told me that they walked out with Michael Gallup and Leo Collins, I'd be like, that's great. I think that, I think that there is not a doubt in my mind that Sam, that, that Jamal Adams will be a Dallas Cowboy before the season starts. 
Um, I know a lot of people have mentioned like Tampa Bay, but I don't think Tampa Bay has the young receiver. They're not going to give up Chris Godwin and they're not going to give up Mike Evans. The dark horse team that I would watch out for, though, is Jacksonville if they offered Yannick Ngakwe. And the reason being that I think Yannick Ngakwe as a younger pass rusher, 24 years old, and somebody who I think Greg Williams would move around, I think that's a straight-up player-for-player swap that I think both teams could be happy with. Jamal Adams can go kick it in Florida or whatever. You know what I'm saying? He you know, he can go play for Doug Marone. He can go play with you know, the, the, the guys that they have down there. He can go play with good Josh Allen, right? Um, but I, I think I think he's going to be a cowboy man because I think there's just so much noise around that. I think that's what gets it done. And I think it's probably for Gallup and a pick or Collins and a pick. And the interesting thing about it, if you walk out of there with Leo Collins, now you put him at right tackle. Now that's a really good old line, Joe, because you go Mackay Becton, you go either Brian Winters, Greg Van Roten or Alex Lewis, whatever two of those three make it out of the guard, out of the guard competition. Although I would still sign Larry Warford and plug him into one of the guard positions. You have Connor McGovern at center and then you have Leo Collins at right tackle. That is a really good offensive line, not just for Sam Darnold, but also for Le'Veon Bell. But I think Michael Gallup in a second round pick, I think that gets it done. I, I, I know you, you, you believe that the Jets will get a first round pick, but I find it, I would be floored if they got a first round pick from a team. I think them demanding a first round pick makes it hard for them to get a first round pick and a young a young controllable player. I think they settle on a on a on a player like Michael Gallup or Leo Collins and a second round pick. It really depends on who the team ends up being and um how much further the relationship deteriorates uh overall. Uh it'd be great to get a first back. Again having those kind of assets are valuable. Not getting a first back, the sting goes away a little bit if you get a young building block, particularly for offense, which is what the Jets really need overall. So it's going to be really story number one, unfortunately, to monitor uh, for the next few months if we get football, which hopefully hopefully we will. Please wear your masks you know, <laughs> so we can have a chance of getting football. And more importantly, everyone stays safe out there. Any final thoughts about any other news around the team? We got sort of the wave of press conferences, which, you know, I just say nothing that is said in any of these press conferences mean anything. I think we've learned that over the years. They kind of just are what they are. Uh, I am more interested in seeing when we get back to football, is this Jets offense designed any differently than it was last year? Is Sam Darnold outside of the pocket more? How are they using Denzel Mims right out of the gate? How does Mekhi Becton hold up? Uh, can they make Chris Herndon and Le'Veon Bell really focal points on offense? Those are all the things I'm you know, anxious and excited about and the things that I think are X factors on uh, what this team looks like next year. Uh, defensively, I'm also cautiously optimistic that we'll get a decent jump from Quentin Williams. It feels like you know all players do this, but it does feel like he really focused on rebuilding his body to be more built for the NFL. And if he could become the impact player that he was supposed to be, or he is supposed to be as the third overall pick in the draft, that could really be a game changer for the Jets defense and something that helps mitigate whatever they lose uh, when it comes to Adams. Anything else that, you know, you want to speak on that you're particularly looking forward to? Yeah. I mean, you nailed it with, with Q. I think Q's going to have a, a, a pretty big year. He looks like a, he looks like a man now, right? Whereas I think last year he looked, he had a bunch of baby fat and he lost the braces, which I think is great. Um, you know, and hopefully he gets the new man in time so he can play fat. Um, I'm really interested to see the cornerback group, right? And, and one of our writers had a really good breakdown on just 
you got to understand, man, Joe Douglas, like we talk about the old line a lot, but he has completely, completely remade this cornerback group, right? And I think, you know, not just Pierre Desir, not just, you know, drafting Bryce Hall, but trading for Quincy Wilson, right? You still have Blasson Austin, right? So that's going to be, that's going to be cool to see. You have Poole there back, you know, back another year. So he's going to be the spot guy, but this is a young, young corner group that's going to have the chance for Greg Williams to coach them up and for them to grow together. And I think that's going to be really fascinating to see. Um, I think I'm also interested to see what kind do we get CJ Mosley for a full year? I think one of the things that I, you know, I said a lot last year, CJ Mosley is the best defensive player that the Jets have. He is the, at worst, the second or third, the, at worst, the third best linebacker, the inside linebacker in the NFL, right? He brings a certain level of credibility to this defense, right? Whereas like, cause you want to talk about a guy that's not used to losing, right? C.J. Mosley is that guy. C.J. Mosley is the guy that came from Baltimore. You know what I'm saying? Just did not. He he's not used to losing games, and he's the guy that when he talks, similar to Steve McClendon, when they talk, people listen. Whereas with Jamal Adams, he'll talk, and people are just like, "Come on, man! Like nobody, you know, nobody cares about this." Um, but I'm interested to see him back healthy. Interested to see him and Avery Williamson together. Do we get a Blake Cashman jump? I don't think so. I think he's probably going to be cut at the end of the at the end of the offseason. I just I think that. You saw when Williamson went down, they didn't turn to Cashman, they turned to Burgess, right? And Burgess played really, really well. Uh, the other part on the offensive side, and, you know, I'll end with this, I think is, I think Makai Becton is going to be a really, really good pro, man. And I think that seeing him working out with, you know, uh, pro bowlers, you know, in the offseason, working out with Tariq Armstead from the Saints. Um, so he's been, he's been doing that, right? But I also think just from a kid who wants it, I think he wants to be great. And I think being able to see him protect Sam Darnold's blindside for the next decade, I think that's going to be fun. I'm really excited to see him develop and him come along under the tutelage of Frank Pollock. Dalvin Asario, always a pleasure. Quick half hour ripping through a variety of Jets topics. Everybody, thank you for listening. Make sure, again, subscribe, rate, review. Follow Dalvin on Twitter at DA underscore Asario. Follow our writing at turnonthejets.com. Dalvin had a great piece about the Jamal Adams situation, which you should definitely read. Badlands, turn on the Jets.badlands. I'm sorry, turn on the Jets.podbean.com. This is how you know I'm recording it on a Monday. I'm messing up, messing up my own <laughs> URLs. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Dalvin, any final words as we head into 4th of July? Yeah, man, you know, uh, thank you to all the veterans who have, you know, sacrificed for our ability to, you know, be able to celebrate this 4th of July, you know, and again, I know this isn't the normal for us, right? Like, you know, we'd probably be having like a barbecue coming together, hanging out and all that. But I think for me, it's, I'm, I'm internally grateful for those who gave their lives for us to be able to even just be here, um, you know, and, and hopefully by the time, you know, we kick this thing off, everybody's safe and sound and their families are good and we can, talk about the Jets over a drink in person as opposed to social distancing, but everybody just stay safe and enjoy your 4th of July. Amen. Thank you again, everybody for listening. Stay safe out there. We will talk to you next week.